This is episode number 30 of Sports Cards Live. And that may confuse you if you're looking at the YouTube channel because the one the show that we did on Monday is titled episode number 31. What happened was I had booked Dr. James Beckett for episode number 30 before I decided to do a special episode on Monday to discuss the sale of the LeBron James RPA for $1.845 million. But I did not want to uh, change the numbering because it's important to me that Dr. Beckett's episode on Sports Cards Live is the 30th episode. It's a milestone episode for me. So thank you for him for joining tonight. We'll bring him out shortly. I want to thank Grant Sandground, who was my guest last Wednesday of Upper Deck. We had a great discussion. This past Saturday, I did a freestyle episode. We went almost three hours. I want to thank all the viewers and everyone who interacted. It was a wonderful episode. I had a lot of fun and hope to do it again. I want to thank Carvin Chung and Joshua Johnson for joining me on Monday for the LeBron James RPA sale special episode. That was a ton of fun as well. Go check that out. All these episodes, if you're new to Sports Cards Live, thank you for watching. All the historical episodes, they live on the YouTube channel. You can go watch them. And YouTube will always remember where you left off because these episodes are long. Unlike my guest's podcast, who is going to be joining us shortly, Dr. James Beckett. Also, this Saturday, Sports Cards Live hits the road. We'll be broadcasting from Players' Choice Sports in Kelowna, British Columbia. The following Wednesday, no show. I'm going to be on vacation. I also want to announce on August the 12th, I've lined up as my guest, the buyer of the Sidney Crosby BGS 10 RPA that sold last month for $125,200. That's going to be pretty interesting as well. And then on August 15th, we have Leaf Trading Cards' Greg Cohn will be joining just arrange that one. So we're closing in on 750 subscribers on the YouTube channel. So if you haven't yet, please go do subscribe. I'd greatly appreciate it. The episode tonight with Dr. Beckett will be a little bit shorter than usual. But once he leaves uh, for the evening, I do have a box of cards here that arrived from my US mail address that I'm going to open up live. I haven't opened them yet. So we'll, we'll get to that and uh, a little bit more action after Jim leaves us this evening. So Without further ado, let's bring out Dr. James Beckett. Dr. Beckett, it is an absolute honor to have you on Sports Cards Live for my 30th episode. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, uh, Jeremy. You know, I'm a numbers guy, so uh, the the numerical significance of 30, as you've explained it, is cool. For sure, for sure. And you know what? It's interesting. I'm going to bring, and this is something my friend Amit sent me a message earlier today. And he said, you know, it's kind of cool, but the first issue of Beckett Hockey Magazine, the 30th anniversary of this magazine is basically next month. It, it, this is the September, October 1990 issue. And I thought, well, that's a great tie in episode 30, the 30th anniversary of the magazine that pretty much changed my life to a large degree. So um, that that was fitting. I'm glad I'm glad that that uh, that that happened. So. And I'm going to call you Jim. It's up on your name tag, and you told me I can call you Jim. So we're going to go with that from here on in. Um, Jim, so usually I like to tell the viewers kind of how I know my guest. And to be honest, uh, I feel like I know you, but you don't really know me because uh, you just met me last night for the first time. But I've been aware of you, and, uh, you know, your name is synonymous with a hobby. So um, to the guests, you know, this was a bit of a cold call. I emailed Jim a few weeks ago, and he got back to me literally within about 30 minutes and graciously accepted my invitation. So uh, Dr. Beckett, Jim, I want to thank you for that. It, as I said, it's, it's great to have you here tonight. So before we get into it, um, 
actually, let's just get into it. You know, I mean, you are obviously somebody who everyone watching knows about, uh, but you you started out as a collector, just like the rest of us did. Do you mind telling us sort of about your history and what led you to start the price guide business and and issue and and publish all these price guides for so many years? Well, my story started out similar to yours in the sense that I was a collector as a, as a young boy and as a, you know, growing up. But after, I guess it was probably college and grad school, I actually got more involved with the organized hobby. And, and I say I was a collector, but pretty quickly I became kind of a collector slash dealer, which was what a lot of people were in those days. And then helped organize the first sports collectors club down here and uh, you know, organized the first few uh, conventions that we had here, and uh, and then and all that was, and then I was you know traveling around buying cards and setting up at shows, and then after that, after that foundation, that's when I started doing price surveys and price guides and books and magazines. And so, you, I mean, you just jumped from doing the sur like when you said you were doing the surveys. Now, was that just something you did as a hobby, or was that already with the, with the with the intention of starting a business? No, the 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 first uh, price survey that was, I would say, international for your Canadian listeners because it, it was basically North American pretty much at that point. Uh, that was in '76, and I I got input from all around, uh, and then I published it for free in uh, Trader Speaks and Sport Collectors Digest. And I, it was warmly received. There were people that were a little nervous about it because I was going to be, you know, telling what cards were really selling for. But uh, it caught on. I did that for a few years. And then finally in 79 is when I did the first book. And the first magazine, the first monthly product that I did was not until 84. So it wasn't it wasn't immediate. I mean, it was just, it was, there was a gradual progression and the hobby was growing along at that time as well. So what were you collecting yourself? What, what were some of the sets you were chasing or players that you were collecting sort of in the seventies and early eighties? I did an episode of my podcast about the herd mentality. And I, frankly, when I started out, just like everybody, I was in the herd and what the herd did back in the seventies uh, late 60s, 70s, maybe even into the 80s, that you, you just got complete sets. You you went to complete sets and you worked your way back as far back as you could afford or you wanted to. And my dad had been a collector. And so I wanted to get all the sets back to the to the Gaudis, to the 30s. And so so when you started the the price guide business, were was it sort of to and in 19 so in 1984 the first baseball monthly came out. Was it a service you were providing to the hobby or was it to almost to help yourself to know what you should be buying and selling cards for? And then you accumulated the data and thought, okay, well, we're now we're going to publish this. And like, so I'm just trying to understand how well, you went from collecting to, well, that, to that, price guides. Well, what you said is exactly what I didn't do. I mean, I didn't, I didn't like gather the prices so I would know. Uh, when I started doing the pricing, I already kind of knew there were a few guys that were in the know that traveled around, did a lot of shows and I was one of them. So I, I had an edge and so did a number of other people who then became my contributors. And some of them were not eager to have their knowledge widely shared, but I 
persevered and just kind of insisted. I said, we're going to, this hobby is going to be bigger. We're going to have more fun when more people come in because they're going to have some assurance that their cards are, know what they're worth. They're not going to be taken advantage of. They're going to have more confidence in their, and it's going to bring more cards out. And that's what, that's really what happened. But I mean, I, I could have just gone along my merry way back in the seventies and just buying car, buying collections for cheap. So really you did do it as a service to the hobby. You didn't want to see people being taken advantage of if they didn't have complete information or even any information on what cards were trading for. Yeah. And I, uh, and I feel like, I mean, I could say I could, I could play it either way. Uh, so I'll play it both ways with you. Number one, I, I don't think I got into it to make money, but I certainly didn't get into it to lose money. And so I'm sitting there thinking, yes, this is a labor of love, but then it caught on and, 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 uh, and, and everything worked out great, but it wasn't, it, it, I, I didn't take a salary for two years, you know, so I was just kind of moonlighting and burning my candle at both ends, which is my avid listeners and friends know I, I had a heart attack 23 years ago and that's not from taking it easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, for sure not. For sure. Well, it's glad. It's great to see you still here. That's uh, I was about your age, uh, Jeremy. So oh, <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, hopefully uh, that doesn't happen to me or anyone watching. But hey, it's great to see you here uh, to this day now. And, um, you know, it's uh, so you did mention your podcast. I want to point out to the viewers, uh, Dr. Beckett, Jim, he does do a daily sports card podcast, and you can see it in the ticker right now. It's called Sports Card Insights. It's available on all the various podcast platforms. And the nice thing about his episodes, unlike my show, is that they are 15 minutes in length maximum. He cuts them off at 15 minutes, so he calls it a drive time kind of listen. So check them out, easy to consume and digest. All right, before we get on to the next thing, Jim, let's say hello to some of the people watching right now. I want to say Zach says, congrats, Jeremy. That was for getting you to come on the show. So thank you very much. Austin says, should be a good show tonight. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Austin. Welcome to the show. Name from Indigenous Rookie Card says, hello. Good evening, name. Uh, Daniel Palagi, good evening, everyone. We're going to be an awesome show. Welcome, Jason. Welcome. I know Jason's a big fan of the uh, Price Guys, always has been. Paul, good evening. Personal Finance Dad is here. Good evening. Brian Kingsley, hello. Ziggy Noah is here. Hello. Card Killer from Instagram. Good evening, sir. Ernie Rondo, hello. Bruce Findlay is in the house. Bruce is the individual who I acquired Hobby Insider message boards from in 2012. This vacation, Bruce, I'm going to see my folks in Kelowna, and we will be broadcasting live on Saturday from Players' Choice Sports Cards. Al G, welcome to the show. You can call me Dan. Hello, Dan. Welcome. Scott, good evening. Ralphie, good evening. Amish Dave, welcome to the show. Howdy, Jeremy, Dr. Becca. We're all in store for an absolutely amazing show tonight. Bruce says, I wanted so badly to interview Dr. Becca for the Insider's Edge magazine eight to 10 years ago. Congrats for getting him on, Jeremy. Thank you, Bruce. I am thrilled. It's an honor to listen to Dr. Beckett, says Michelangelo. Yamwax says, sorry, Yamwax says, an evening with Dr. Beckett. Glad to be here. Ziggy says, information, one of the most valuable resources in the hobby. It sounds like pricing was considered knowledge and people didn't want to share. Did you see any, do you see any similarities in today's market? Jim, do you want to address that briefly? Well, the pendulum has swung. You know, back uh, 40 years ago, knowledge uh, was, uh, was guarded. 
but the pendulum has swung all the way to the other end where knowledge is now pontificated. <laughs> and right. there, there are many, many people who will tell you how to spend your money and what things are worth. And in many cases, that's something they have to sell. But it's a free world. And the best equipping you can do is just to, to be educated and to look at all sources. I mean, I, I don't, you know, we tried to have it really as accurate as possible. But, you know, I'd advise anybody that's whatever you're doing, you know, check all the different sources for pricing information to make your most informed uh, purchases and sales. Very fair, very fair. Michelangelo, we're going to get to your question a little bit later. Ziggy's no, because knowledge is so available. Uh, Alex, good evening. Rich Klein, welcome to the show. Jordan Hagedorn says, Rich, good to see you. And then he says, J. Lee x Jim Beckett equals greatness. Well, him, not That's me. Yeah, <laughs> It's Matt. And Jordan, congratulations on your marriage. We're having some side conversations. Kids come next. Cardboard Max, good evening. Okay. So, Jim, let's move on to the next thing I wanted to talk about was the advent of Beckett grading services. Can you tell us a little bit about how you sort of um, I don't it's not so much pivoting because you didn't abandon the price guide business, but you added this new division to Beckett Media, I suppose, and created Beckett grading services. What do you remember from back then in terms of bringing that online and uh, and launching it? Well, another distinction, I mean, the, the new company that I sold to became Beckett Media. When I had it, it was Beckett Publications. Okay. And actually, that says a lot because Beckett Publications doesn't sound like they would be in the grading business. It also doesn't sound like it'd be in the dot-com business either. It sounds 20th century. It sounds old school. Um, but it wasn't. We had some very innovative people. And way before we started grading, uh, there, there was a little... Uh, uh, there was an undercurrent in our office of people that thought, hey, that would be a really good idea. We we noted with interest what PSA was doing. They were the kind of the 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 mark uh, kind of the only game in town at that point, pretty much. And they they were they were making some noise. And you know, especially Mark Harwell, who was the president at the time, he said, he said, we can do that. And I, I probably was the one, Jeremy, that was dragging my feet because I thought, well, you know, um, we've got our hands full with doing the pricing and there's some people will criticize that we shouldn't price, even though we're trying to, you know, we're not setting the prices. We're trying to re reflect the prices that are already there, but then we'd be pricing grading graded cards and things like that. So, but uh, that was me needing to get over the fact that you can't please all the people all the time. And frankly, we'd been grading cards. I mean, when I was doing the price guides, even without help, if you didn't grade the card, you, you, it's incomplete information to say a card sold for this price. It has to be in, with some specificity of, con, of condition. And so we were always doing that anyway. And when we started the grading, it was populated by all the price guide guys who were really sharp. Actually, right. not all of them could grade. It's, it, be, the ability to grade is not always correlated with hobby knowledge. Some people can, some people can't. It's it's eyesight and it's just the ability to dispassionately look at a card and block everything out and and and, and give it a, an accurate assessment of the grade and then do it again 60 seconds later and 60 seconds later and 60 seconds later or two minutes or whatever they take. 
Right, right. And and keep keep focused and keep alert and all that for sure. What was what was the ramp up like with the grading company? I mean, you launch, you do some marketing, you get your first few submissions. How long did, did it take for it to really take off and uh, be able to fill uh, or, or take up the time of the people that you had assigned to that division? Uh, our company was, I guess you, you have a corporate background. I mean, we basically did not uh, under my regime, I had no desire to announce future products. Uh, I just thought, let's perfect it. Let's build the mousetrap and then show people. And if it's a better mousetrap, people will will come. And so we had basically a stealth grading operation for um, at least six months, a grant sand ground who, who uh, you had on your on your show was in the thick of that. So he kind of stopped his he had a huge job in the pricing, but it was important for him to take about six months to help perfect the grading scale because we, we didn't want to do it exactly the way PSA did it. I, that's just not me. We wanted to do better. And so the report card was an important part of that. The, the, the inner sleeve, the, the, the more substantial holder and, uh, and, and the ability to use our standardized nomenclature. Those were all features that we thought we're, we're not trying to be as good as PSA. We want to be better. In truth, we're different. And uh, we have a great following and, and so do they. I wanted to ask you kind of, you kind of got ahead of me there, but I wanted to ask you like, how involved were you in the design of the slab, the holder itself and, and actually using the subgrades and displaying them prominently on the front of the, uh, of the label? Was that like, was that something that you initiated or was that part, was that part of the team? And just how, how important was that to the success of, of Becca grading services? I think it was really important because it was important to, to be, to have distinctives that we're different and we're saying we're, we want to be better, but you can't just be same better, uh, especially when you had an entrenched uh, first mover uh, competitor who, who was doing fine. But uh, I think Mark Harwell, uh, who had, uh, was the president of our company at that time, and uh, he came to me and he said, you know, I've got I've been working with some people on the side to come up with a patented uh, slab that we can we can actually patent because it'll have enough features that are different. Uh, but he had a little bit of a coin background and knew that really taking good care of the uh, of the card was was important and that it wouldn't slide around and all that. And I think Grant uh, and Dan Hitt was involved, and Wayne Grove and Mark Anderson. There were there is, uh, I'm probably leaving out other people, but I know Grant was very involved in kind of putting together all the different scenarios for the subgrades. Yeah, and we went over that some, but he really he he was he's very sharp, and he pretty much took the lead on that. We had discussions about it, but but he was. Um, he's, I'm like this too. We share this. I, I, I like things being complicated, but I don't like them to be too complicated. And so if it's complicated, but it kind of makes sense, which I think it does when you look at the, at the report card, then I think that's a, it's a net positive. But if there's two 9.5s and, and two nines, they're thinking, well, you know, if it's your card, you want to say it's a 9.5. And if it's somebody else, you want to say it's a nine. Well, there's a scale for every possible configuration. And, uh, and it depends on what, what the, what, what grades get higher and what grades get lower. If it's got a bullet hole in it, it could be a, a 10, 10, 10, zero or one. 
and that doesn't average out to nine a right. card bullet hole. So anyway, Grant went through all. It was really, uh, re really fun, re really fun to go through that. And all the, again, they just hold up and did a kind of a what they what they call what Tom Peters used to call skunk works. It was kind of an entrepreneuring, you know, inside the company developing a, a new thrust. And so it's kind of secret, I think. I don't think it was well known. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned PSA was the first mover. When did SGC kind of get in the market and did they come in after you, before you at the same time? And were they sort of uh, someone that you tried to get market share from or did you have to share it with them? I probably should not answer that. We, we had some confidential discussions with SGC uh, at that time. And I, let me just leave it at that. But, uh, but I, 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 they, they do excellent work as well. Okay, no problem. Thank you. Okay, Bruce Findlay wants to know, he says, Sluggers was the original price guide and then Beckett took over. Did you know the Sluggers guys or take any direction from them? <laughs> wow, that's, that is a Canadian <laughs> uh, question. Uh, I, knew the, I knew the Sluggers guys. It's Rick and Jack and uh, I'd see them, but I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I'd been going for a long time. If he's talking about hockey, there Andrew Pivovarchuk was doing was doing hockey price guides too. So he clearly predates uh, the, the the sluggers guys from from Toronto. But I loved going to that in, into the into their store, and uh, and they were very personable, engaging guys. They were a lot of fun, but and they had a a, a day in the sun. They had a they had a moment. Well, yeah, there was also, there was Tough Stuff, Legends, Sports Collectors Digest, um, Alan Kay's Sports Card Magazine came out for a while. Were those, uh, anything you can say about sort of that competition that that also produced some some valuation guides back in the day? Do you ever play golf? Sometimes, a couple times. So those who play golf have a choice to either compete against their opponent or compete against uh, the, the course and, and, and par. And, and the best golfers are trying to beat par and they're trying to be not necessarily perfect, but their standard is not what the other people are doing, but how, if they, if they play their game, they'll, if they believe they'll win the tournament, not looking at the other guys. So we kind of did that. I, th there were other people doing price guides and some of them uh, were more aggressive than others and some were better than others. But at this point, you know, we, 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 we kept our eye on the ball. You know, we weren't looking at them, uh, you know, but it's a, it's a free world. It's a free country. It's a free, free, free continent. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's the, that's the best approach to take. Worry about you yourself. Try harder though, just for your, your, your perspective though, Jeremy, we had to try harder for hockey because it was uh, substantially a Canadian sport and we didn't want to be these guys in Dallas that were telling people in Canada what their what their hockey cards were worth when we had a actually we had a franchise and it actually won the Stanley Cup. But um, so we hired Alan Muir. We had, uh, you know, uh, we our our biggest price guide team in those days was hockey because I just really wanted to make sure that we were. We were nailing. Hockey is important. It it is not the largest of the four sports, but it is arguably the most passionate. 
I would agree with that completely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great to hear that you, uh, you know, that, that was the approach you took. I think that uh, it would have been nice, nice to have heard you say that way back. Not that it's anything that I, that you, you thought wasn't the situation, but it really, um, it's just nice. It's nice to hear even thinking back to the old days of looking at these magazines every month and knowing that, you know, you weren't, you guys weren't just down in Texas telling us what our cards were worth. You were consulting and you had advisors up here, uh, ex- including my original LCS, which was AbD cards back in the, the early and mid eighties. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, okay. Bruce wants, Bruce has another comment. He says, Dr. Brian Price is, is well loved in the hockey side of the hobby. What was your relationship like with Brian? Would I trust Brian with my teeth? I'm not sure how much dentistry he's doing, but I think he's got a, a, an amazing eye for hockey memorabilia and the understanding of what makes a great card. And it, you and I have had a conversation about that, Jeremy, that I, I think he's, uh, he's deserving of recognition for his contributions uh, to hockey cards and to this, to this hobby. Okay. And he's a, he's a friend. I, I, you know, I'd see him once a year, maybe at the national or at the, at the expo. Uh, good guy. Okay, great. Thank you for, for that. Dave Weir wants to know regarding the Beckett slab, was there any consulting done to ensure it was archival safe? Yes. I believe that's something that Mark did. I don't know how, what level of archival safe, but, but he was very concerned about those kind of things and, you know, the inner sleeve and all that. He, he, at one point, he had a collection of 30 different slabs from not just card companies, but coin grading. Any Anybody that did any slabbing, he looked at it for the pros and cons. And, you know, again, not to copy, but to say, we don't want to do that. And, and, and how do we resolve those things that we see are problems in these others? Okay. Tim has a comment. He says, as a kid, I loved having the team addresses in the back of the Beckett pre-internet. That was our way of mailing letters and autograph requests to team headquarters many times at work. So a service provided that uh, that was much, much valued. So that's pretty cool. Very cool. Okay. And uh, Michelangelo says, I, you know, anyone can find it, but he says, Dr. Beckett looking great for 79 years old. And I will say, yes, uh, it's, <laughs> you, you, cert- you certainly are. You certainly are. Yeah, you, um, and I, you and I are math guys, but that, that uh, Michelangelo is, is not done the math exactly right so i'm quite a bit younger than that but uh, oh are you the first number is correct I, I i was born in 49 i'm 71 okay. well okay but now i'm gonna tell my wife that i look great for a 79 year old i'm not sure she's gonna be pleased well, <laughs> your wikipedia says you're 79 years old so you might want to update that it does yes yes oh gosh well then i, I am looking great okay <laughs> you are are you sure you're not 79 years old? Wiki- the internet says you are. <laughs> wow, I better. You know, it's hard to get your Wikipedia ch- uh, entry changed, even if you're the person. Right, I'm sure. Okay, so let's let's move on. Um, it's what what I think is very interesting to myself and collectors, you know, in the hobby, is the fact that so you no, you no longer own the Beckett business. You don't own the price guide business. You don't own, own the, the media business, the publications business, the grading, none of it. You are, you are retired. You are a podcaster now. Can you tell us why did you sell the business and how, how much did you, how, how sort of much care did you put into who you sold it to when you did sell it? But why, why did you sell it? 
But, well, first of all, it's worse than what you said, because not only did I sell all that that you mentioned, but I also sold the commercial use of my name in a corporate sense. So I can't be Beckett cards or Beckett whatever. I can be myself. I can be Dr. James Beckett and have sports card insights, but I can't be a corporate presence in the sports card world uh, that would give any confusion that I have a, like a competing company with Beckett Media. I wouldn't compete, but so I've, I've actually sold my name to <laughs> Jeremy. So that's, but uh, why did I sell? It just was the, the right time, I think. And basically uh, I wanted to sell to a group that would uh, take good care of my company. But once you get in the sales process, it doesn't always shake out that way. You wind up having to sell to the highest bidder. And even if you pick a really nice person to uh, to sell to or a nice entity, I guess people are not, you know, companies are not, there could be a leader or, a you know, the, the decision maker, but then it's, you know, who else they bring in. And then there's the issue of when it's sold to another group that you didn't have any choice of the matter. And my company was sold. Uh, from me to a prize media, and then it got sold again five years later. Interestingly, when it was sold, it was sold uh, originally to the guy that was brought in was a guy that was a close friend of a close friend of mine, and somebody that if I had not sold, I I would I was asked to consider bringing him in as uh, as kind of a successor CEO under my ownership. And so I had a, I had a good relationship with Peter Goodmanson, who was the 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 the, the CEO that um, that Apprise brought in, and he he I think all the you know so that was uh, those were fun days, and and you know but every year I'm a little farther removed, and then this la a year ago I thought you know it's been enough time I think I'll do a podcast I'm not going to step on any toes I'm positive tone, but I've got some stories to share and and there's some fabulous guests out there, and you know I'm. I don't. I don't know. I'm not necessarily going to poach your guests, Jeremy. But you've had some great ones, and I, we've had some overlap. But uh, there's a lot of wonderful people in the industry. I'm not worried about you poaching my guests, Jim. I mean, I don't. I, you know, I, I'm happy for them to to do the do the tour. You know, do the the the, the, the sports yeah. card talk show tour. I think it's great. You know, I know you were on House of Jordans with Chris McGill. Uh, and his conversations with with Chris, I believe you were episode four. I was his guest for episode number five, but I was just happy to be one after you. I thought that was cool. So that that was pretty neat. Yeah, um, but no, I, I you know it's it's if you ever do have a guest on that you think would be great for my show, please let me know. I'd be happy, and I you know I can do the same. If you ever hear that I have a guest on that you'd like to and you, you'd like to have, and you don't know how to get a hold of them, reach out to me. I'm happy to do that. I think that's that's what this is all about. We just want to provide hobby content and keep people engaged and keep the hobby chugging along and really be there to uh, support this growth that's happening in the hobby. That's sort of a good segue actually into my next sort of question for you, which I'm kind of going to read this one off my notes, but you know, with, and this, this does tie into some of the questions, Michelangelo, that you've been asking that I haven't addressed yet because I was sort of saving them, but you know, with what's going on in the hobby right now, and actually I'm going to do this. With the amount of a real-time pricing that is available to collectors, whether you're looking on eBay sold listings or you're just, you know, you you know people that are sharing prices, you can find all the various auction houses. PSA has a database. Uh, vintage vintage 
prices, has a database. Um, considering all that that's available, as well as these new tools, these these new valuation tools and analytical tools like uh, like Card Ladder and Market Movers, how relevant do you think the hard copy price guide still is today? And I ask that because anyone can pull up their phone, whether they're in a card shop or a card show, and quickly within 30 seconds do their research and come up with a value. So again, where do you see a place for the price guide uh, the, and specifically Beckett price guides today in 2020? If I've got an expensive card and I want to know what it's worth either to buy it or to sell it, I'm going to check every single place I can to know I want to get the maximum value if I'm selling and I want to pay, you know, a, 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 as fair, but a, a little low price when I'm buying. Okay. And I, I wouldn't dispute that at all. And, and Beckett certainly, I would advise me one of the sources for that. Maybe not even the most, probably not the most important source because it can't be as timely. Right. However, if you move your way down from the, the top of the market down to the mid market and the longer tail type things, uh, nobody's going to look up a 50 cent card on, uh, you know, on a, uh, on an app. Uh, but it might be a $5 card, you know, and price guides are good for, for, uh, being able to check a whole bunch of cards quickly. Okay. They're not a printed price guide, especially is going to have difficulty for what's hot right now. And when it's really expensive, but, there's a lot of people that are interested in $10 cards. And if you're at a show and you're going to look up every card one at a time as you go to somebody's table, that that's, uh, you know, time is money. So if you have a magazine or some other source that gives you group, you know, kind of group pricing, uh, so I think, still think there's a place there. Okay. And going to ComC, you could, are you going to look up the card on ComC? That doesn't take very long, but it's still... Are you going to spend 30, 30 seconds even looking up whether a card is a is a $2 card or a $5 card? Whether it's 200 or 500 I, absolutely. And I, I wouldn't stop at just the Beckett price guide. So, well, that's what it says. I'm stopping there. I, I, I you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, very fair. And, you know, similar to that, I guess, I always wondered how, like what, what kind of strategies did you guys utilize in the price guide days when you were involved, of course, to really stay on top of the, the multitude of cards that were, that were listed in the magazine? Like, like um, it seemed like sometimes prices wouldn't change for a while, even if there were fluctuations. How, how did you guys kind of deal with that, that whole issue of, you know, there's so many cards and uh, prices are changing on the regular, it seems uh, this may be, you know, earlier, certainly I, I could see it being a little bit easier, maybe once the internet came around and you could actually do that sort of research. But what did you guys do in the early days to stay on top of the pricing? And just as more and more sets were added to these magazines. Uh, that's, there's like a, it's just like a sliding, not a sliding scale, but you have a certain number of hours. And even when we added a whole bunch of people, there's still a finite number of hours and there's a finite number of sets and you've got monthly deadlines, you've got all these different sports. But what changed over the years that you're kind of alluding to is that in the early days when I first started and I had very little help in the beginning and then I got some fabulous help, but it was mainly older cards. There'd be one new set a year or two new sets a year. 
that I could handle. But you move into the late 80s, you move into the 90s, and all of a sudden you've got 13 uh, football companies with all kinds of sub-brands. And so what evolved during that time that you're talking about, it changed from trying to get accurate prices from things that have been out a while to, you know, to editing the pricing that was from last month to coming up from scratch with brand new sets. We had to verify the checklist. It's not as easy as it was. And so we had uh, pros, we had, we had people, uh, you know, full-time employees every weekend, somebody be on the East coast, somebody be on the West coast, somebody in the, be in the Midwest or, 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 or Canada. We, we tried to be at all the big shows. Plus we had regional correspondence. Even then, Jeremy, things can slip through the cracks. But what happened was it, the onslaught of all these new products. Now, the, I think the biggest job that they have now is pricing new products. And so if you're saying that some of the older products don't get the scrutiny they deserve, uh, I think that that's probably, if you take away the word deserve, uh, then, I, then I would agree because it's impossible to spend a lot of time on each card. But the intention is to give extra attention to what's moved and understanding what to look for in that month. And that, that's an ongoing problem and it's getting tougher and tougher. Yeah. It's getting tougher and tougher. For sure. For sure. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that insight. Uh, Bruce, I like this one. Bruce says, Jeremy, I'm going to keep asking questions because I'm jazz. Dr. Beckett is on here. Uh, LP hockey car, LP hockey cards. Hello. Hello. And uh, Facebook user. I'm not drinking vodka. I am drinking water. Uh, Terry fortune says, uh, says to you, Jim, tell Jeremy that Gretzky's rookie is still $800 in the guide in the Beckett and he should sell all he gets to me at full book elbow cough. Yes. Uh, no, thank you, Terry. Um, Bruce wants to know, do you have a favorite sports card set? Here's a nice, easy question. Uh, 56 Tops was the first set that I really salivated over and thought, I really want to complete that set. And I completed it a long time ago, so you got to get new goals. But, but uh, yeah, that was the first card I ever had. And I just thought it was a cool design. When, when Tops was doing a fan favorite card of me, they asked me, what's your favorite set? I said 56 Tops. So. And, again, I'm not 79, but I was 7 and 56. So just <laughs> – so there, there's the math. And that card is actually prominently displayed on the logo for your Sports Card Insights uh, podcast. So anyone wants to see that, you can check that out on Dr. Uh, on Jim's Sports Card Insights podcast available on all the various platforms. I'm going to throw that up there again right now for everybody to see on the ticker at the bottom there. Um, okay, next sort of topic, Jim. With the hobby being as red hot as it is right now, and it is going crazy. How do we as a hobby, and this is Jordan Hagedorn's question that he sent me earlier today. How do we as a hobby ensure the long-term health of it and any tips you can share with, with myself and all the viewers that we can do as custodians of the hobby to help kind of uh, nurture this growth as we are in it right now? Well, if you mean nurture the growth by retarding the growth and bringing it into a more uh, reasonable growth percentage, because it's growing, it's a hobby that's growing monthly at a rate that most uh, investments would hope to grow in a year, yes. uh, that can't keep keep up forever. And so there's there's two schools of thought. I mean, basically, there will be some correction, 
and I'm hoping it's a soft correction instead of a hard correction. But whether whichever one it is, uh, my feeling is there are going to be people that are going to be really upset if cards go lower than they are right now. But there's also going to be a lot of people that are excited, that are waiting for prices to go down to, to jump on them. Because once a price ceiling has been established, at least historically in the hobby, when something drops down, and it's like a stock. A lot of stocks are like this. They, it, it reaches this price point, and then it drops, and then you know it potentially could get up to that because it's been there before. And so uh, I, I believe there'll be some there'll be some correction because it just things don't go up forever, and they either stay the same or they go down. And uh, there are, like I said, there are people out there hoping that it goes down so they can pounce and buy up the stuff that they want. I agree. I agree. I, th I think that, you know, it is going to correct somewhat. It, it has to, like you said, things don't go up forever. I do think, and I said it on, on Monday that I think that the, that the, the foundation has, has sort of uh, risen in that, you know, there's just more people supporting these values now and more people supporting the volumes of cards. And, uh, so while it, you know, it's gone up, it's going to come down a little bit, but I don't think it's going to come down to below where it was. And then we'll see it go up again in time. These things do go in cycles. So um, well, the, the historical comparison is it back in, it, this is not, it's same and different from what it was in the late eighties and early nineties. In the late eighties and early nineties, you had huge influx of people and people talking about cards and all that stuff. But the ages of the people coming in at that time, there there were a lot more kids, and that's sort of good. But the average bankroll of the person coming into the into the hobby in the late '80s, early '90s was hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars. Now the bankrolls of these people coming in, of which there are a whole bunch of them, are well, they're they're six figures, seven figures, yeah. and so that that can buy. I used to say that can buy a lot of cards. Apparently now, if you come in with that big a bankroll, you're just looking for one or two cards. And and that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great comment here from Building Builder Sip. He says, the growth we're having is the correction. It's about time. And you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of people that are just waiting for the correction so they can get in and pounce. And I wonder... You know, sometimes you just got to buy it when you see it because you could you could wait and wait and wait. And that card just may get even further, further out of your reach. So uh, but like, you know, like you said, it can't go up forever. But I think the growth can certainly slow and level out a little bit and perhaps see a bit of a downward correction in time. Uh, it, it's bound to happen at some point. Jeremy, but the problem is that, that, that a lot of people want the same stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very true that. I want any cards that I have on my want list, I don't want them to go up. And everything I have, I, I do want to go up. The problem is what's on my want list or the things, a grail that I would want, probably has some overlap with what you want and what other people want. And so it's impossible. You can't, you can't suppress the price. If a lot of people are chasing something, the price is going to go up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And as more people pour into this hobby, we're going to see that. So what, uh, I mean, back to the question of any sort of tips that you might have from someone with your vast experience in the hobby. And you've been, I mean, you've been putting out pricing information since the seventies. Um, what do you, 
any tips for us as again as custodians of this where you know and I don't know what I, I'm I don't have an answer I'm looking for here I just wonder if you have any words of wisdom to share with myself and the viewers uh you know even if it's just something like just take it all in stride and you know don't get too uh go don't get in too deep or anything uh anything pop into your mind if not that's fine too get in as deep as you want the problem is the problem is you need to have an edge you know otherwise you're following the herd and you're 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 probably going to be late and so after everybody's bought it they oh yeah i'm supposed to buy that so do your own research uh look for an area where you have an edge you know when i look at your situation jeremy i would be doubling down on hockey Okay, you've already got a, a foundational understanding of the sport and the history of the game and the players. And so when you're looking or making sense of uh, what something is, uh, what, what, what prices are, even when the brand new cards come out, you have a pretty good idea because of your hockey knowledge and player knowledge. Uh, because before the price guides come out, before eBay's even hit, there's there's this uh, window of uncertainty and uh, and it's I think it's like that in soccer, you know, all the time. That's why most of this money is coming in. A lot of the money is coming into basketball because you can get a grasp of basketball uh, quicker than any other sport. It's got smaller rosters. Uh, the, uh, the the draft picks are more sure things. Uh, the, 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 uh, the star players are featured and you, you see their personality and there's no masks and things like that. They're very personable. They're international. So, but you, you know, just pick your niche and, uh, and, and, you know, I picked the niche, but my niche was, was, but, but expanded. Okay. There's no reason to expand the niche. Okay. There's no reason unless you want to, to do anything other than hockey cards. If you get into uh, golf cards and you're not interested in golf, well, then good luck. Uh, but if you love the sport, love the players, understand it, then when you're in this spur of the moment decision and you don't have time to look it up, uh, you know, you, you're you're going to be armed with your own knowledge and common sense. Yeah. Okay. That's what I advise. And then you're collecting things you love anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to add one thing to that, if I may, just, you know, because you focused a lot there in your in your response on, you know, stick to your niche, do what you understand. And I think there's so many people coming to the hobby now who are looking for information anywhere they can find it. They're watching content like this show and many others. I think it's on us sort of hobby veterans and people who are really in the hobby. Even if you're a, a one, two, three, four, five year or a 30 year veteran, if you have a skill set, you have some knowledge in a certain niche within the hobby, Let's share it with other people, right? Let, let's share our, our wisdom and uh, help people from making mistakes because if they make a mistake, they may leave the hobby altogether and just feel like it wasn't for them. But if they if they receive some good guidance and information and advice, they may take a slower approach and last longer. W would you agree with that? Do you think there's merit to that? Yeah, except that you know, they don't have encyclopedias anymore. But when they did, you can't say, hey, uh, just read the encyclopedia and then you'll know how the world works. Uh, you've got to say, hey, here's a couple articles in that uh, encyclopedia or Wikipedia, whatever it is, where you're going to get some fundamental understanding and, and start with that. Start with that and build from there. Yeah. So, like I say, for you, it's hockey. I mean, I, just because everybody else is collecting basketball, 
you know, but there's some very pricey. There's a lot of opportunity in hockey. There's opportunity everywhere. And when something gets overheated, the savvy people think, well, let's let's move over to an adjacent area. So it's, yeah. it's like other things. You mentioned, I'm just going to put this out there. You mentioned that, you know, it's even, there's expensive hockey cards out there too. So on August the 12th, for everybody watching, my guest on this show is going to be the individual who, who bought the Sidney Crosby, the Cup RPA, BGS 10, has Dr. Beckett, Jim Beckett's name right on it, uh, for $125,200. That individual will be my guest on this show on August the 12th. Okay, uh, Jordan wanted to say, he says, well said, there will be a correction, but true collectors will enjoy it because they'll get some great cards cheaper. I, I completely agree with that. While I don't want to see my cards go down in value, I'm happy to, to acquire others that will be a little bit cheaper. Bruce goes on to say... Jordan, the, the, the Favre cards are not going to be going down. I'm going to tell him that they're going to, they're going to hold the line. Everything else might go down, but, the, but uh, Jordan's uh, grail objectives with Brett Favre, uh, they're never going to soften Jordan. Well, and at least Jordan is sticking to what he knows and what he loves. So that that's important. Bruce says the investment return of cards is tangible well, where stock returns aren't. Cards are like real estate where you can touch it and enjoy it. I agree. You just can't live in cards. You can live on real estate, but you can't live in cards. There's no dividends. I mean, you, you know, you, that's, that's, that's a little bit of a stretch. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's tangible. And right now it's very liquid, but that doesn't mean it'll be as as liquid, you know, next year. You you can't you can't trade them in. You 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 really have trouble borrowing against them, I think, too. Although maybe that's changing somewhat. Could be. But Could be. Well, I agree. It's a lot of fun and you can touch them and enjoy them. That's good. Yeah. Austin says no point in diversifying just for the sake of diversifying if you don't know what you're doing. Any uh comments on that, Jim? Yeah, I mean, if you had a, I mean, generally, if you don't have any special knowledge and you go into the stock market, you would um, you you would get a, a market basket of stocks and you know kind of spread your risk. But if you had a tip, or you had some edge or some lead on something that was ironclad, why would you diversify? You you would you would you would at least double down on something that you were willing to. I don't. That's not what I regard as gambling. Gambling is 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 when you've got a sixty forty chance and you you roll the dice. I'm talking about where you've got a ninety percent chance of making a lot more than doubling your money. So, so why diversify? Yeah. Okay. We're going to go to a question from Dave here, and then I think we might be reaching, getting close to the the end of our time with you this evening. Dave says, would love to hear Dr. Beckett's thoughts on the trimming scandal, specifically what types of controls could be put in place by a third-party grading company to guard against this kind of activity? Have you put any thought about into this in the last year or so, Jim? Yeah, I did an episode on trimming, uh, card trimming, but I, I will do another one too. Uh, but you know the controls are already in place. I mean, it, it's a it's a it's an embarrassment to every one of the grading companies, and and if any one of them messes up, it makes them all look bad. So it's not like if oh, it's only these other guys that occasionally miss. I think it's rare, but I think the the trimming is extremely sophisticated. And uh, what what most of your listeners may not know is that cards can be trimmed and still measure up. That's right. scary. They can they can fully measure, uh, at least in the width and the and the the height and width, 
and uh, but they have been trimmed. And I, I know that that uh, BGS takes great pains to try to catch that. And when they do, they're gonna then then that submitter is is going to be suspect. So I think controls are already in place. I think I, I shouldn't say anything more because I don't not sure I know exactly what they're doing now. But but uh, PSA, I, I think they're on it. Uh, SCG, uh, SGC, they're on it, and BGS certainly is on it. And uh, if they if they'll all you know, it's, it's, it's hard though. It's, it's hard that the, 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 they're better than the crooks, but the crooks try to figure out, you know, some new sophisticated way. Yeah. And then you figure yeah. it out and then they try to do another way. And, but it's, it's really important to the integrity of the hobby that the, uh, that the uh, grading companies. So, so tell Dave, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I, I hope they're going to, you know, in, institute even greater safeguards. Right. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, Scott says you can maybe live in a house made of all the base cards from the early nineties. That's for sure. Uh, building says buy what you're happy being stuck with. I think that's a, a, a an apt sort of comment. Jordan says the riches is hype man. Uh, Rich says way back in the day, a friend used 88 Donruss's wallpaper for the bathroom in his store. That's pretty that's pretty cool. I like to hear that. I'd like to actually get a picture of that bathroom. That'd be fun to see. Uh, Yamwax says, as a vintage fan, I find 80s Beckett book is still often better than most websites. It's gold. That's nice to hear. Still some love for the 80s Beckett, uh, Beckett books. Uh, what else do we have here? Disco says, trimming must be some type of art. You have to have a lot of stones to trim some of the cards that are being trimmed. And I agree. When you see these cards being trimmed that are worth five figures and, and up, uh, boy, you got to make sure you're not you're not slipping your hand at all when, when you're doing that. Jim, I want to know from from you. They're not, they're not practicing on expensive cards. They're they're practicing their craft on the the cards that are the wallpaper. You know? Yeah, exactly. When, when they when they can fool if they can get by on that, then they dare to do this more expensive card. Let me ask you this. This is a kind of a weird question about trimming, but. Are you offended by trimmed cards? I, I know everybody watching. What's he asking? Of course, of course, he's offended. We're all offended by trimmed cards. It's the biggest sin in the hobby. Is 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 a trimmed card such a bad thing? Fraud is bad. Intentional fraud is worse. Uh, if somebody owns a card and they want to trim it, there, there's nothing illegal about it. But passing it off as not trimmed is uh, borderline criminal. You know, and if you knowingly submit it to try to pass it through the grading companies, I hope the grading companies take note, catch it. And uh, and I don't know. If, I, I'm not saying that's three strikes on the submitter, but they're, they're, it, they're You know, I'm, I'm a believer that that, uh, that there ought to be punishment that fits the crime. And I think it's not the trimming. It's the it's 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 the attempt to perpetrate fraud. And that ticks me off. Well said. Uh, you know, that's kind of the answer I was I was looking for because I personally don't want any trimmed cards. Although, I, as I mentioned on Monday, I do have one in my collection that is a, a known trimmed card that is slabbed. But uh, it's a Queen Elizabeth 1952 Tops Look and See card, and I just said, Ah, I'm going to keep this thing. I don't. I'm, it's in my PC if I ever move. Now that it's out there on YouTube, like you know, not like I'd ever sell it and 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 try to mislead anybody, but. Um, I'm with you on that. I think that's a great response. It really puts it in context. You know, fraud is bad. A card is a card. Is it's, uh, 
Uh, we like our cards as they were out of the pack. I think that's what's also sort of very important to collectors. It's very important to me. I don't want a, a card that was cut from a sheet uh, unless it was cut from that sheet by the company that produced it. I don't want to cut by hand several years later as you know, there's plenty of those uh, out there on the market and that's that just is what it is. They're still cards, of course. Um, okay, listen, I mean, we're, we're getting to the 55 minute mark. You told me you were gonna do 45 minutes. Can we stretch it out for five more just to say uh, goodbye to a few of our guests and uh, move on from there? Okay. So uh, I do want to say good evening to Jake from 90s B-Ball Cards. Hello. Terry says, readers write. We're always awesome articles. Uh, Ziggy No says, is waxing and cleaning autographs fraud? That's an interesting uh, an interesting question that I know there was a discussion uh, last night on Hobby Hotline regarding that. Um, I don't know if you want to take some time, Jim, to talk about that. Very simple. Uh, additive restoration is almost always bad. Subtractive uh restoration is uh, in the sense of removing a foreign substance without damaging the card or subtracting from the card itself was has generally been accepted. So if there's you know a little wax stain on the on the front of the card back in the day when tops had uh, you know wax packs and gum and all that stuff to, to just kind of take a, a nylon and wipe that off. Uh, you know that's what the auction companies do. If you send a card into an auction company and say submit it for grading, they're they're going to do all that stuff and they're going to do it professionally. They're going to clean it up a little bit, but touching it up once you put a, some additional ink on it, you're liable to to get the authentic grade and not a number grade. Okay, no, I agree. Additive is no good. Removing extra wax isn't the end of the world, right? And finger. It's it's removable without you're not you know you're you're I hate to say improving the card but it it wasn't intended to be on there right you're not trimming one of the sides to make it look like it's more perfectly centered uh, there there are some people that say if there's like a some blot on the back of the card that you can't use any chemicals to remove that and I think that's that's in that gray area that's probably not okay. Yeah. If you think on the back and somebody uses kind of a, not turpentine, but something that removes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's whip through some comments. Then we'll let you go, Jim. Jordan says, Jim's success in the hobby is proof that you get out what you put in. He truly loves collecting and his fingerprints will be on the hobby forever. I speak for everyone when I say thank you. Most, most definitely. Austin Olson wants to say thank you for your time, Dr. Beckett. Uh, Sam Genova. Hey, Sam, how are you? Says great duo here tonight. Thank you, Sam. David says, thank you for an absolutely amazing and informative show, fellas. Thank you, Dr. Beckett. Uh, and then there's some other, uh, Bill and Bill's Bill, Bill collects cards of anybody who has been, uh, involved in the hobby, such as yourself. So if you have a card, he's probably got it. He says another fantastic episode. Thank you, gentlemen. All the big time greats, all the all time greats blog. I'm sorry. Says great interview. Thank you, men. You are welcome. So Jim, I'm going to end this by basically saying, I mean, your name has been associated and synonymous with the hobby going back to the mid 80s, uh, you know, even even up in Canada since the since the late 80s and probably even before for the people who collected stuff other than hockey, even like like myself. You know, it's funny because in the last few days, your name has been prominently displayed alongside LeBron James's name in hundreds and hundreds of media pieces and sources with that card. So it's it's interesting that all these years later, 
your name is still associated with a hobby, even though you're retired and, and just doing a podcast to be part of it. Yet this card that sold for $1.845 million is in all, all the websites and newspapers. And there it says Beckett right up in the top corner, right by LeBron James. I think that is awesome. I think it's it's just proof that your your name, your legacy, even though you don't own your name for a cor corporately anymore, but your last name is uh, is synonymous and entwined with the hobby uh, forever. So um, this has been a, a, a truly an honor to have you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for uh, sharing your time, your insights with myself and the viewers. I, I greatly, greatly thank it. Thank you for that so much. And we'll be in touch again. So you can. Uh, Jeremy, thank you for uh, asking me. Uh, like I said, I, I want to contribute to the, 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 the positive uh, vibe and tone of the hobby. And you certainly do a great job of that. So I'm honored to be on your show. And, and uh, you got some great listeners and uh, I, I know a few of them and, uh, I thank, I thank you and them for their kind words. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we will be in touch and speak again. And I uh, look forward to having you on possibly next year again for, for an update. Sounds great. Okay, Jim. Thank you. Have a great night. You bet. Thanks, Jeremy. Okay. All right, viewers, we're going to keep on going here for a few minutes as Jim signs off. Um, I'm not done yet, but Jim had about an hour to give us this evening. So, Thank you for coming on. You can just close the, the window altogether whenever you want to get out of here, Jim. Or you can sit there and watch. Watch me uh, carry on sort of solo here for a few minutes. I've, I've got a date with my wife, so I'll see you next okay. time. Jim. Okay, man. All right, Jim. Thanks again. Take care. I'll, I'll... Well, there he goes. All right, guys. So listen, um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, uh, especially to see Dr. Beckett. What, a, what an honor and thrill, kind of like a lifelong dream type of thing. Uh, no one is as iconic or legendary in the hobby as he is. I don't even know who number two would be myself. But uh, I'm, uh, as I said earlier, we we're only going to have him for about an hour tonight. So I'm going to do the second little bit myself here. Um, I did, you know, I did have a box come in from my U.S. mail address today. So I figured I'd wait for tonight. I knew that Jim would only be with us for a, you know, shorter time than usual. So I thought I'd save this and crack it open. So if anyone wants to hang out and see what I got today. You can do that. I'm going to crack it open right now. And I don't, I'm not even sure what's in here. I get stuff shipped to my brother down in the States and I get him to ship it up here every couple of months. And I, by the time it gets here, it's kind of a surprise. I kind of forget what, uh, what it was. I'm just going to look at some comments here. Uh, House of Jordans, Chris, great episode, Jeremy. Love the questions. Thank you for tuning in very much, Chris and House of Jordans team, Christina and Brian, Jason Pringle. That was pretty cool. Wasn't that cool? Wasn't that cool? I mean, he's the guy from the magazine. All the magazines. I thought that was very cool. Very cool. Sam wants to see some cards. All right. Jordan, good night. Thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And thank you for the awesome question you sent me earlier today. That was one of my favorites of the evening. Jordan does say, keep on buying what you love and be good to each other. Most definitely. Historic, a J. Lee mail day. Yeah, I haven't really done one of these on the show yet. So, but you know what? Again, I knew he wasn't going to stick around too long. And uh, he's in a later time zone than, than I am. So anyway, we got a box here. Let's see what's in here. This many cards. All righty. Ooh, okay. This, is, you guys want to see these? I mean, this I think is pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. What does Dave say? Glad you figured out a way to ask the pricing question in a not so wordy way. I felt that was a little bit wordy tonight, but uh, 
but hey, he was he was a great guest and um, his insights were really super interesting from my perspective and I hope from all the years. So as Jim mentioned several times, I collect hockey. I do collect other sports too, but hockey is the one I collect the most of. So I love rare inserts. I love acetate, that kind of stuff. And this is from the 2017-18 Upper Deck Ice Hockey. This is a Sub-Zero Gold Alexander Ovechkin. So this card is numbered out of eight, which is pretty rare. You know, there's not a lot of the... Terry, here's some goods. Here's some goods. Not a lot of these out there. Well, eight to be exact. And this is the... Uh, the gold there this is a parallel there's a a regular version that isn't numbered but anyway i like rare shiny cool inserts of uh of you know major players and alex ovechkin certainly is one of those next up i do have a basketball card here next up is this nicholas lidstrom from this is 09010 the cup it's a base patch parallel out of 10. I collect these from all the years. So when I saw this come up with a beautiful patch, I grabbed it for my hoard. I've got about almost 300 cards uh, like this from the cup in my collection. Next up, this is a 1996 Skybox Premium Rubies, Shaquille O'Neal. I collect Shaquille O'Neal and Michael Jordan cards. And uh, this one I thought was, you know, rubies are are quite uh, important in the hobby. I know against Jim's better uh, uh, advice, I didn't do a ton of research into this card, but for the price, I thought, you know what, I'll grab it. It's in a Beckett grading services holder with a nine final grade. It's got a nine, two nine fives, a nine and an eight five for corners, which I'm okay with that. I do not like low grade, low subgrades on, on, um, on surface or centering, but I'm okay with it on uh, corners and edges. So I'm not okay with it. I just, I'm more okay with it. Next up. Oh, this is a card that, um, this is a, this go, this Dr. Brian Price put this card out in 2011. This is an upper deck, uh, sorry, an ultimate in the game, ultimate memorabilia, 11th edition, ultimate emblem, Keith Kachuk, one of one. And this, there's a, an interesting story behind this card. This card um, was lost in the mail for a long time. And I also, I actually got, my money back for this card and i told the guy you know if i get the card i'm gonna give you your money so i'm gonna go pay for this card again there we go i didn't think this was kind of i thought that was lost so that's a nice surprise and i'm sure he'll be happy to receive his payment for that card next up is a 19 this is a 90s insert so uh sam genova you'll like to see this one It's a 90s insert wayne gretzky Flair, 1994, Flair, Hot Numbers, Gretzky, and a PSA 10 for my Gretzky inserts collection. Pretty cool. Nice card. Nice foil. A little bit of depth to it. Really like this card. And it was cheap. I don't even know if I paid 30 bucks for it. Next up, we have a... I also like these true base cards. You know, these new low serially numbered base cards, whether they're from... Uh, upper deck synergy and they're out of 17 18 or 19 or sp game used and they're numbered to the player's jersey number but and they're usually cheap i think more people are ca are catching on to them now so that might not last but this is a 2018 sp game used Sidney crosby base card in a psa 10 holder and it's numbered it's numbered right there not that you need to see but it's numbered 84 of 87 so that's kind of cool nice cheap card with i think a lot of room to grow in the future and into this little baggy little baggie of cards here this card is a jonathan taves letter marks this is actually not for me this is for scott and bc so 
not my card, but got it for him because I had the US mailing address. And next up, I have a, this is cool, there's tape right over, but a, a, a set that's not known to many people is, I believe it's 1999-2000. It's Upper Deck Sixth Sense Quantum. So it's a parallel. This one's numbered at the top out of 100. So it's a Paul Korea Sixth Sense Quantum Parallel and something that not many people have seen. So I pick them up wherever I can. And then I thought this was cool. Back to your whole you know, rare base cards, serially numbered and all that. This is a Synergy, 2018 Synergy, Connor McDavid. It's the purple version that they did to the player's jersey number. But this is the number one of 97, which is really the only reason I bought it because it was the number one. I thought that was cool. And again, I don't even think I paid $20 for that. So super, super cheap. And then we have two cards that are taped together here. So I'm going to untape them. Uh, one's just holding it in place. Ah, another Sixth Sense Quantum. This one of Keith Kachuk. Out of, now, there's 100 of these made, but you just will not see 100 of these out there. I mean, I don't know. I don't think people even knew that they were rare parallels because the numbering is very discreet. It kind of blends in. It's a bit of a darker card. So, But again, I pick them up where I can. I think they're super rare. And uh, it's just a nice 90s insert set to chip away at. And that is everything in the box, guys. One basketball cards, a bunch of hockey. Let's see, what did I miss here in the comments? What Austin says, do you feel awkward about ordering from hotspot skate hotspot states for the coronavirus at times? It makes me leery from ordering from those states at times. Uh, I think by the time it gets here, any virus would have died, but I don't know. I'm not a doctor or a scientist. Um, I haven't really thought about it. I'm going to wash my hands after. That's about as good as I can do. So I would say I do not feel awkward about it. No, no, I don't. Ah, Chris says, sweet card, ground zero. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Shaq, good pick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Brian Kings, I collect Shaq. That's a sweet card. Thank you so much. It's iconic. Certainly, I missed one for 75 a few months ago. If that's the Shaquille, I think I got it for $111. Uh, Yamwak says, can I just add on top of everything else, how great is Dr. Beckett's voice? He could get paid to narrate audiobooks. All right. I, I noticed that too. I noticed that too. Uh, no, not available, Sam. It is for my personal collection. But if I get tired of it one day, you never know. P potentially. Uh, Brian, I can relate to that set and card. Jason, that Gretzky is sweet. Thank you. Thank you. Love the great one, Flair. Yeah, it's a great card. That's a that's a mouthful. Mouthful. Okay. Scott says, are you for or against tape at the top of the top loader? I'm neither for nor against tape at the top of a top loader. As long as that tape does not come into contact with the card, I don't care. Um, I mentioned I mentioned uh, when I was doing my freestyle episode on Saturday. Someone I think Brett asked me sort of to speak talk about my my process of of um, really processing a new card into my personal collection. The one step I missed I, I forgot to mention was basically take that card out of whatever holder it came in, put that in the garbage or the recycle bin, and put it in a nice new clean scratch free holder. Uh, Dave says love the Korea. I think. I think his brother Steve is in a couple. Yeah, his brother Steve is in that set as well. He sure is. And Alex says, are there any old Beckett books that you're searching for? Not me. I forgot to mention, I actually put these all up behind me for the episode tonight because I had Dr. Beckett. So I've got like, that's the first episode, uh, the first issue of basketball right there. The first one with magic. Issue number two with David Robinson is right here. 
The first one, Barry Sanders right there. I just put them out there to, to be on theme. Legion Italia, what's up, fellas? Good evening, Legion. You missed Dr. James Beckett. We had him for the first hour, but this whole episode will live on on Facebook for anybody who wants to go back and check out anything that they missed. If you are new to Sports Cards Live, thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Dr. Beckett for bringing new viewers to this show. If you have not yet, please go to the YouTube channel and subscribe. I would greatly appreciate it, but I see most of you are watching on YouTube tonight, so that's nice to see. Just about everybody is, actually. Oh, I missed a comment from Ryan before. Bruce digging out that book of questions. Yeah, guys, I, I also apologize. I missed several questions earlier on. Um, I tried to stay on point. We had sort of a, a, an order of discussion, an order of topics for the discussion, I should say. So I wanted to kind of stick to that as best as I could. Quick little text message from my wife. Yes, I can do that for you when I'm done. I'm also watching a bunch. Tonight is a big night for basketball cards on eBay, if you guys don't know. Um, it's a, and I know there's a lot of people I don't like to buy cards from certain uh, online consignment companies, but tonight uh, PWCC has a lot of very excellent basketball cards ending, and there are a couple that I have my eyes on, but I'm still about 15 minutes away from that, so no need to be distracted at this point in time. Uh, Scott, we talked about the top loaders. Austin says, how do you feel about the way Upper Deck Redemption cards are taped when shipped, particularly the thicker cards? They tape it so tightly it could round the edges at the top of the cards. I don't want my cards coming damaged by whoever's selling it, uh, sending it to me, whether it's Upper Deck or an eBay seller or a personal network seller. I want the card to arrive um, in as good of condition as it possibly can. So if you are pinching the top of the card that's going to round it in, especially on a thick one, I don't want that to happen. Um, I'm okay with tape on the top of the cards where the top of the top loader is pinched together slightly, slightly, but not enough that it's going to have any impact on the corners. I think that's uh, that's really inexcusable. I like it like the way this guy did it. The card is in the top loader and the top loader is in a top loader bag sealed up. So there's nothing on the top uh, and the card really can't move around much in here. So... I think that's a great way to do it. Scott says, I find that when I ship, I put the card in the top loader in a team bag with the decoy and pull the team bag closed tight and the card will not move. Yeah, yeah, exactly like this. That's what I try and do. I do put tape on the top. I use some of this, this painter's tape right here, this green painter's tape. I put it across the top, but I don't pinch it. If I have done that, I apologize. I just put it on lightly and it's, it's the easiest tape to remove from the top loaders as well. Yeah. Tape drives me nuts, especially scotch tape. Yeah, do not use scotch tape on your top loaders when you're shipping. Ernie says, can you talk more about the software you were using Dropbox? Yeah, Ernie. So I use Dropbox to store images of my cards, both my personal collection and my cards that are for sale. And uh, just Google it. Just Google Dropbox. It's All it is is a file storage system. It's in the cloud. And um, I believe it's it's free up to a certain amount of, uh, of storage, but... With images, you're going to get there pretty quick. So I, I pay the monthly fee for the super the super premium, or not the super premium, but for the, the one step up that gets you however many gigs of storage, and uh, I haven't had to worry about it. Uh, but it, it works out really well, and there's an app, so you can you know look on your phone and see what cards you have. And uh, I find it very handy for when I'm at shows. I see a card I might need, but I'm not sure. I can look in my Dropbox app, and I can see if I if I have that card or not. 
Adam, you missed it. Stupid work. Well, you can always watch the earlier edition later. The the shows that we do live, guys, they don't always load onto YouTube right after the show is done. Sometimes it can take up to 12 hours for YouTube to render the whole video and put it out there. So be sort of patient if you need to, and you can catch the, you can catch the beginning of it tomorrow and, and some of the older episodes as well. And please do subscribe if you haven't yet. Adam wants to know, have I picked up any 1920 Sub-Zeros? Yes. Yes, I have. There are actually two Crosby Sub-Zero Golds that sold already out of eight. I picked up the first one uh, and then a second one just sold last night for a bit more than I paid. So that was kind of cool. And I tried to get both. I thought I'd get both of them, but I, I was outbid. Terry says a Jordan PSA 10 rookie sold for 71,100 US dollars. That must have been tonight from PWC. See, you're probably talking. Skipping the Kobe Q. What's this? I'm not sure what you mean by the Kobe Q, Brian, but if you can let me know what you mean by that. Uh, Chris ran out of space. Sure. Dropbox is great. Yeah, it's great. And if you want to pay for the additional space, it's worth it. I, I do. And I mean, I, there's probably other free services. I've just been too lazy to, to find one at this point. Well, guys, I'm kind of out of things, out of things to talk about tonight. Um, if you want to ask any more questions, I'm good to go for a little while longer, but I'm also happy to wrap up. I am heading on vacation tomorrow. So this coming Saturday, I'm going to Kelowna. That's where my parents live. And um, we're going to be, uh, I'm going to be going to player's choice that will not be open, but he's going to let me in. And uh, Jason and myself are going to uh, broadcast live from there on Saturday for a special sports cards live hits the road trip, uh, hits the, hits the road episode, I should say. So I'm excited about that. Having done one of those before, hopefully it all works out. All right. We'll see. We'll have a different background. That's for sure. And uh, I'll also mention what's coming up on <clears throat> On August the 12th, so I got a few holes in the schedule. We're filling them in. I should have everything filled in by the end of the week here, but uh, I'll let you guys know August the 12th, the person who purchased the BGS 10 Sydney Crosby, the cup RPA on eBay last month for 125,200 US dollars will be my guest. So anyone who thought that that card wasn't a real sale or you know it's institutional money or it's investors or this or that, I'm not going to tell you who it is yet, but you can come on and watch that episode on August 12th and meet the person who bought that card and find out what, what his angle was. Why did he buy it? And then on August the 15th, I have uh, Greg Cohn from Leafs, Leaf Trading Cards will be joining. And Greg is somebody, he'll be an interesting guest because while he works for Leaf right now, he's also worked for Upper Deck in the past. So he's got a great perspective, just like um, just like Grant Sandground did, you know, Grant worked for Beckett and then he works for Upper Deck. And just like Carvin, Carvin's worked for Upper Deck, Panini, now GTS. So we're getting a lot of industry insiders on this show who, and, and but industry insiders who've worked for multiple entities within the industry. So I think that's really cool. So looking forward to getting Greg on at that at that time. Guys, I've said a couple of times, I'm, we're almost at 750 subscribers on the channel. So that that's a pretty respectable number. I'm quite happy about that. But I'm looking towards a thousand now. So if you don't mind subscribing to the YouTube channel, I'd greatly appreciate it if you haven't already. Ah, uh, Amazid, uh, Rahul, I think. Shoot, I forget. Love the Quantum Series from 9900. Great underrated parallels. Nice pickups. Thank you so much. Abdul, sorry, it's Abdul. Brian says, Kay, what do you think about Kobe on card out of 100 or less? Have you been watching them? Are you talking about on-card autographs by on-card? Uh, if you are, I haven't been watching them, uh, Brian. Uh, Alex says, Brian's question, any opinions on Kobe on-card autos? Have you been watching them? Um, no, I, I'm not. 
I'm not a, a really an autograph collector. I, I do have some, don't get me wrong. I've got, I've got plenty of autographs in my collection, but I prefer, really, I prefer early career uh, rare inserts without autographs or memorabilia in them. That's what I really like. Paul, thank you for the safe travels. I appreciate that. Austin says, hope you have a great time there. Stay safe. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm going to be hitting my parents' place and player's choice. That's it. Because otherwise, you know, it's uh, it's just too risky right now. I'm going to do my best, and we're we're not going to put ourselves in the in, in the face of risk uh, at all. And I mean, I'm already, you know, we're going to even filling up with gas. You know, we've got a plan for that and everything along the way. Greg is vocal too. Should be interesting. I, I think it will be. I think it will be. Brian, thank you so much. Thanks, Jeremy. Great episode with the doctor. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, all right, guys. That was great. I had a ton of fun. I can't believe Dr. James Beckett was on the show. I mean, there is no individual in the history of this hobby, in my opinion, that is more iconic or synonymous with the hobby. I don't even know who number two would be. Um, he's so far ahead. And, you know, it doesn't matter when I've been telling people for the last uh, week, week and a half that, hey, I'm, you know, I, I do this YouTube show for sports cards. And, uh, <laughs> Have you heard of Beckett? Oh, the, the the magazines? Yeah, the magazines. Yeah, I've heard of them. Well, he's gonna be my guest on the show uh, this Wednesday. I'm like, really? That guy? Yeah, yeah, that guy. So, but I can tell you, um, it was pretty awesome because I I sent him an email and I want to thank uh, Chris from House of Jordans who actually when Chris had him on his show, uh, I guess last month, I reached out to Chris. I said, "How did you get in touch with him?" He said. Put his email out on one of his podcasts, so I sent him an email, and he sent me the email, and I uh, I sent Jim Beckett an email saying, "Hey, this is my name. This is what I'm doing. Love to have you on." And again, he he wrote back to me within half an hour, and he said, "Jeremy, I would love to be on." And I mean, like I was on cloud nine after that for quite some time because you know my my guest list is pretty cool. Like when I look over the the first. 29 episodes and I see the 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 guests that have been on sports cards live to this point I can say I'm proud of it I truly am and um I think it's awesome I mean there's so many people who have come on with some great experiences insights opinions uh approaches to the hobby but I think Dr. Beckett is sort of uh you know the king of the hill when it comes to uh really influential and iconic people in our hobby so that was awesome. And that's why I wanted him to be on episode number 30, being a milestone episode. Whereas I did that sort of um, off calendar episode on Monday to talk about the LeBron James RPA that sold for $1.845 million. And, but I was not willing to change the numbering of the episodes. It was important to me that uh, Jim Beckett's episode was number 30. And, uh, and it was, and it was very neat that, uh, that we're, we are right on the cusp of the 30th anniversary of the, publication of this magazine which is Beckett Hockey number one with none other than Wayne Gretzky and the card that's on here it's funny because this must have come out like maybe just before the actual upper deck the first upper deck hockey set came out because this isn't the base the Wayne Gretzky base card this is the promo card from that set so pretty cool card pretty cool magazine I'm glad I kept it all these years literally I've had this since 1990 since it first came out. So, all right, guys, final comments. And I think we're done unless something interesting pours in the comments here. But uh, Sam, hey, Jerry, enjoy your vacation. It's well-deserved. Thank you so much, sir. Yamax, great interview tonight, Jeremy. Thank you, guys. I really, truly hope you all enjoyed it. And um, we'll be back on Saturday for uh, Sports Cards Lives. Sports Cards Live hits the road. Kelowna, BC at Player's Choice. Good night, everybody.
I think we're done. I'm not sure. 